Blog Talk Radio. Reason is our weapon of choice. Skeptics know that you do have a voice. Science is not so we'll be defiant as what we know, so it's best to apply it. Feed you information, deposit the knowledge, so you know ignorance is not an option. Welcome to the RSS feed with your host, Rain and Rose. Skeptical superwoman, but in plain clothes. She ain't no Jane Doe, nor is she a day old. So the core arguments weakly molded like Plato. Taking false info like Cato, but it should be your Shayo. You expand your mind like a transit line. Nothing is ever true, cause you think so. It's evident that you never win. Cause the evidence you present is irrelevant in the present sense. It's reckless and negligent. Never ask questions or to think ignorance is good and relish it. So we fuck the face, cause you know the truth is hard to take, especially with so many falsehoods that we are today. Oh, serve reality, we start to face. Shout out to the skeptics, my freak thinking to look for cow, besides that fire and heat seeking and aim that you shoot to win the legs. You weak creatures, Christian scientists, choose to debate evolution. Elitists in the government that hate the revolution. Armchair activists who overthink their contribution to the movement. Cause they say they have solutions. So it's best to listen to understand skepticism is the religion. And so we get a better vision of how the world works in what we call marvelous to make a better future. You know that it starts with us. Progressive thoughts, progressive talks, the sharing of ideas, the medicine we need. Under the source of the RSSP, say what? Under the source of the RSSP. Hey everybody, it's me, Raina. Um, another installment of the RSSP. Um, today we'll be talking about much topics. Um, got my good friend here, Kim Vioke. What's going on, Kim? Yeah. Hey. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the RSSV. Hey, Raina. Hey. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was, uh, Kim actually um, did another podcast yesterday, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that, Kim? Yes. Yesterday I had the privilege of speaking with the God Discussion. That's a podcast and um, covers the gamut of different um, ideologies. But it was Deborah and Al Stefanelli, and the guest was myself as well as Dan Barker from Freedom From Religion. And we spoke about a variety, a number of different topics. We talked about um, the parsonage exemption um, in 501c3s and how it's unfair, and, you know, Dan spoke quite a bit about how they had to go in. Why don't you and talk a little bit about what the parsonage exemption is for some for folks that don't know what that is. Excellent. The parsonage exemption is an exemption with the tax code, with the IRS, that allows pastors and ministers of the church to basically exempt um, their rent, their mortgage, um, furnishings, um, utilities, just a variety of different things. They don't even have to declare it on their tax forms, on the 990 form, whereas secular 501c3s, they have to fill out a 990 form and declare all of that information as taxable income, whereas the church does not. And basically, you know, they were talking about how that was unfair, and, you know, what happened was um, Freedom From Religion 
sued the government a few times regarding this, and it was struck down a couple of times. But this last time they sued, um, basically uh, the judge gave them a stand case saying the case had paper. I'm not sure what that right. is. Um, it sounds like yeah, some no, kids are playing outside. I'm outside. Oh, that's okay. Um, they said that this case had merit. It had standing. And what Freedom From Religion did is they went in when they were told initially that, you know, there were going to be some issues with them bringing forth this case. They went in and they changed their salary, their pay structure, so that they would be able to claim that if allowed, you know, the parsonage exemption. And then they brought another lawsuit because now it was affecting them directly. It was causing damage and harm to them directly. So that's how they were able to bring this new case and why the the judge is saying that it has standing, that it has merit. So, you know, we're watching and seeing how that comes about. But, yeah, you know, basically this is something that's allotted to – you know, ministries, and what it does is it gives favor to to the ministry and to the religious, and it actually goes against the establishment clause of the Constitution. So that's where a lot of the fighting is coming from, and it should be allotted to everyone. If they're going to allow the ministry to have that exemption, all 501c3s should be allowed that exemption as well. And we talked about a, num- a number of issues surrounding, you know, exemptions, you know, of the church and special privileges that the ministry has. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, it's interesting that you were on a program called the God Discussion because I didn't get to listen to it yesterday, but I ended up having a God Discussion of my own with an old friend of mine yesterday. And it, um, it was really interesting because <laughs> because Kim is laughing because she, she knows who it is. But um, <laughs> we... Um, we were having a discussion and um, something got mentioned about God or whatever, and I said, well, you know, I don't I don't believe in God, but, um, you know, I said I appreciate, you know, uh, gospel music. And um, my friend laughed, and I asked, um, I asked him, well, why do you laugh? And he, he said, well, um, you know, I didn't know that you identified as an atheist, which he should know because I came out to him several years ago. As an atheist, so I think really it was a selective memory on his part to begin with. But then he said something that you know kind of <laughs> kind of irritated me a little bit. Sad to tell him how wrong he was, but um, he essentially said um, something about well, you know, um, and I said, well, what is it about atheists that makes you laugh? And he said, well, you know, they're like anti-God and like they always you know do this. And I, before he could even go any further, I was like anti-God. I was like, how can I be anti-something I don't believe in? I was like, that's like me being anti-Peter Pan. (laughs) Because I don't, I'm not against God. Like, I don't believe, I don't believe in religion. I think the religion is very damaging. You know what I mean? And I, I I, I don't believe in any of the God concepts that I've been introduced to, the ones that I've studied, the ones that I'm aware of, because there's no evidence for these things. You know? And I don't assert that there absolutely is no God. I don't know this. I don't know enough, I don't know enough about, you know, the universe to say that there absolutely could never be a God. But I think that given the evidence that we do have and, and the, the lack of evidence on the other side, 
um, I think that it's silly to be- disbelieve in one, you know. Um, uh-huh. And given that evidence, I, I'm I'm fairly certain that there probably is not one, um, but I don't know, you know. But um, it was it was just a, it was so it was so interesting, you know what I mean, to have this conversation with somebody. And and have them say to me that I'm anti God and I'm not anti God. I'm, I just don't care for religion. I don't care for what religion does to societies and how it poisons our politics and um, how people generally don't keep it to themselves. Like if you kept it to yourself and it just was good for you and what you do on your you know in your daily life, then it'll be fine. But like most of the time, people aren't content to keep it to themselves. They want to tell you what to do based upon their beliefs that aren't really even their beliefs that they've come to on their own, their beliefs that someone came up with years and years and years ago, and in some cases thousands of years ago. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, and, and, and these are people who had a lot less access to a lot less information than we have now. Right. You know? So. Right. Yeah, it was crazy to me. Yeah, it sounds like it was, you know, I said it sounds like it was crazy, but it's a lesson learned. No, what's even crazier was is that there were people around us, and um, we happened to be the only two people of color in this particular environment, and um, the bartender kind of looked at me like, she's an atheist. How does that happen? You know <laughs> you know, it's so funny. But um but yeah, no, um yeah, it's it's just it's just crazy to me. Um <laughs> I was like, I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. I just don't want people to tell me how to live mine, you know? Um right. but yeah, I decided <laughs> I just brought that whole thing to mind since that happened just yesterday. But um you know, we don't have to go in a whole lot on religion, but um, it does it does do a lot of damage to people, and a lot of the sort of things that we're dealing with in terms of the educational system, particularly where science standards and stuff are uh, come into play, a lot of that is being damaged and eroded by fundamentalist Christian groups and, and others who who sympathize. Um, you know, with this need to keep certain information from their children because they think that um, it might turn them away from God, ultimately. Um, so right. it, it says something there that it says something there that religion is is scared of, of information and what sorts of things and for, what what sorts of decisions people might make if they're given information. So it says something about religion and faith in general, I think. Yeah. Right, and, and and that's the reason why they're discouraged from going out and yeah. getting information. They're definitely discouraged from talking to us, and yeah. this is done on purpose because you know once you start educating people and giving them information, you make them think, and it starts it makes them start to question everything. And again, you know, one of the things that many religious people are taught is not to question anything, especially not to question anything that's of God, that's of any type of spirituality. And, again, you know, some of them see it as us attempting to shake their faith or destroy their faith. 
and no one can destroy or take anything away from you that you weren't already, you know, questioning yourself. And so, you know, again, many of them question things, but they've been taught to just push that to the wayside or to sweep it under the rug, if you will. And, you know, it doesn't help that a lot of what they're being taught does not make logical sense, but then they're taught that there is no place for logic and reasoning in religion. So, you know, they're basically taught to turn their minds off, but when we come around and we start talking about certain things, we kind of force them to turn their brains on. And, again, as I stated yesterday, in, in the past, I've met a lot of intelligent religious people. Brilliant. Some of them are brilliant. You know, I've met, you know, a variety mm-hmm. of different people. So we have to stop going we in with some the dumb ideas. And I was saying that we know some and we know some dumb atheists. So. Right, right. <laughs> well, we won't say dumb. Let's let's be kind. We'll just say we know some atheists that could use a little more education and okay. experience. Yeah, I'm a Okay, well, there's a difference between not know between not knowing because you weren't introduced to it and and having the information and still being purposefully blind. You know what I mean? I think. Right. And I'm sorry, I'm calling those people dumb. So that's just me. Oh. But um. <laughs> but um. But yeah, so a lot of interesting things going on in the news this week. Um, you know, of course, you've got. Um, the Zimmerman trial, of course, that everyone is paying attention to is, um, you know, jury selection in that case. What it's so funny to me is that everyone keeps saying that they don't think this had anything to do with race. Like, what world do you people live in? You know what I mean? Like, what, I have no like, idea what planet do you occupy? Right. Absolutely. That, that you don't think that race came into play. That if this, that if Trayvon had been a white boy walking home in the rain with a hood on and Skittles and, and iced tea, that we wouldn't even be having this conversation now because our child would be at home. Exactly. You know and, what I mean? and what I find interesting is how they're trying to set up a defense saying that, you know, a, a bottle of iced tea and Skittles, you know, can hurt someone and how wearing a hoodie is criminal attire. And I'm just sitting here, and that's the reason why I said it on the start of the trial. I put on my status, remember Trayvon. And all the evidence is starting to come out. It's starting to come out. And basically, there was no Zimmerman DNA on Trayvon. It wasn't under his fingernails. It wasn't on the hoodie. None of that. None right. of that. So, guys, we want you to pay right. attention to this. And, Absolutely. again, you know, we must pay attention. You know, Trayvon, that could have been, you know, he was, I didn't know, I'm going to tell my age, but he was young enough to have been my child, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have nephews. I have nephews and cousins and, you know, I have one particular nephew that I consider as my son, and it will break my heart. And so, you know, try to put myself in those people's shoes, which is called empathy here. And we we <laughs> cannot allow that injustice to, you know, to, to take place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, um, it's, it's, it's a real shame. And with the character assassination that they're attempting here with Trayvon and um, it, it's, it's, it's sad and it's it's ridiculous and um, I don't know if you uh, heard about the book that 
George Zimmerman's father released Kim. Oh, yeah. That was that was a trip. Did you see that? Yeah, I posted it, and he has yeah. a little booklet selling for either two or three dollars <laughs> or something like that, stating that yeah. black are the yeah, you know the black people are the true races. And I've heard that in a lot of circles. Um, there's this gentleman that I'm actually you know friends with, an older white guy, you know, and I don't know, for some odd reason, this guy, you know, really took a liking to me and my family. And I used to hear that from him all the time. And, you know, some of my other white friends, if you will, would always ask me why did I have anything to do with him because they thought that he was one of the biggest, biggest around. And did he say things like, you know, black people are the real racist? And, I mean, I've been hearing this since, you know, my early 20s. And, you know, it's, it's an exercise of futility to try to argue or or talk to someone like that. So with this individual, I just learned to put it off to the wayside and ignore him when he goes on one of those rants. But, you know, that is the premise of quite a few races. You know, what they're trying to do is project it onto the black community. We have no power. We have absolutely right. no power. We do not have the economic and the institutional power that they have. So how Absolutely. can we? Oh, they need a scapegoat. They always need a scapegoat, and and black people have have been a convenient target for a very long time, and and it primarily has to do a lot with the way that we're viewed in in the system of white supremacist patriarchy, and this idea that we're immoral and we're you know we're depraved and you know we're lazy and we're you know all of these things. They it makes us convenient targets. So anytime that they, you know, they don't want to deal with the root cause of the problem, they just find yeah. a way to blame it on black people. But um, you know, like they blame it on welfare mothers. You know what I mean? The you know the the debts we have, they blame on welfare mothers. It's like no, the debts we have can't be blamed on welfare mothers as much as they can be blamed on racist economic policies. That don't exactly. that don't provide living wage jobs to people who live in these types of communities. You know what I mean? Exactly. Let's, let's Speaking of about April, it, you know? next show, next week's show, um, well, tomorrow's show, Black Male Feminist. But the Sunday after that, the title of that show is uh, Victim Shaming and Scapegoating. So we're going to talk about victim shaming and scapegoating, and the Sunday after that will be intersectionality part two. But we definitely we need to start bringing this to the forefront and calling this out for what it is. Yeah, um, I was going to say, and um, in addition to that um, stuff that's going on, um, I don't know if you heard about um, or, or read. There were a couple of articles that were released, and I'll have to um, post them on the black freethinkers wall, and, and forgive me, I misplaced them, because otherwise I would call them out by name specifically, but there were a couple articles that were written this week concerning the um, birth and death, death rates of uh, white Americans, and um, they were saying that uh, white American deaths are outpacing white American births, and one framed it in, in a way that sounded like, you know, basically like rise of the colored people, you know, which <laughs> is like kind of, right, like like rise of the apes or something, like just the planet of the apes. 
you know, but, um, <laughs> right. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it, it, I mean, it was just insane the way that it was written. Um, the second piece, though, I liked a lot better. I think it was in actually the Daily Post. And um, this, this paper actually um, framed it in a way I think that it's much more of a truer picture of what's happening, uh, which was talking about um, that the the deaths that we're seeing and versus the, the increased death we're seeing versus the decreased births has a lot more to do with the social safety net. And and the, you know how it's being undermined, um, and when you think about this, this is true. I mean, think about it. People uh, already before the um, financial crisis, people were thinking about how um, they were going to support themselves and you know into into old age. You know what I mean? Because uh, most jobs don't offer pensions. And right. the ones that do are few and far between, and then the rest of the jobs um, are either very difficult to get or do not come with a living wage and um, insufficient, you know, medical or health benefits. And so how is one to really raise a child or think about having a child in, a, in an economy like that? And, and now exactly. it's... Um, it's it, it's I don't know it's and what's sad about it is is that um you know it it it, it you know I mean we talk about okay so I'll, I'll talk about like um Martha Sanger and a lot of people in the black community for some reason um really detest and loathe Margaret Sanger um, as though she was grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan at some point um, although this is couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Leslie Singer, in her in her work, you know, she made a very simple observation. It's an observation that holds true: that having children that aren't planned, that you can't afford, <laughs> actually keeps you in a cycle of poverty. Exactly. And that you know, and and you know, it it prevents you from doing all that you can for the children that you already have if you have children and, and really climbing out of poverty if you don't, you know? Um, right. It's, it's really sad. And so, like, most people, I think, have, have come to this realization, and that's why part of it, why people are waiting to get married longer, you know, part of why they're waiting to get married longer and they're waiting to have children longer. Because it takes them longer to get established to, at a point where they feel that they can raise and care for children properly, you know? And and, it's, right. and this is all happening in a country that supposedly has all of these strong family values, such strong family values that we have to keep, you know, gay people from being a part of, you know, that community of building strong families, you know what I mean? And, you know, which is ridiculous. But you have to have that we're supposed to be, protecting this institution and we're doing everything we can to undermine it. <laughs> you know? We don't provide right. adequate education. We don't have adequate health and daycare services are not adequate in all places and they're really expensive in a lot of places. And then mm-hmm. um and then, you know, we have um we don't have, you know, paternal uh paternal leave. You know, in some places you can't even take your maternity leave. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, and we're right. just doing everything that we can to undermine it. We don't give people sufficient health care insurance. You know what I mean? Exactly. For their jobs. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the reasons why we're having some of the inner conflict that we're having, and especially mm-hmm. with some of the xenophobia, you know, and basically you'll hear people saying, well, send, uh, you know, people back to where they came from because there are not enough jobs, there are not enough, you know, um, social services available for everyone. And that's not necessarily the case, but, again, a lot of people are voting against their own self-interest, and they're not taking that into account as well. But, again, when you have people at the top and it's being, you know, this country is being run from the top down, you know, you you end up with issues like this, and right, and, and it recycles itself. You know, one example that I gave um, last night was how during the era of slavery, you had some white people revolting because they resisted the fact that the slaves were working for free, and they felt that the slaves were taking jobs away from perfectly able-bodied white people who could do those jobs. A minimum, uh, you know, salary or a wage, what have you. And you're seeing the same thing now. The other example gave us now, some of the Mexicans, you know, Mexican Americans, because you have some that are citizens, and, you know, they're basically being paid low wages. And it's not just, you know, um, Mexicans, it's, it's a number of different races, including blacks and poor whites in this country, and they're being paid pretty much next to nothing. While these corporations generate, you know, a crazy amount of profit, you know, their dividends are going up, and, and it's just it's unreal. But what they do is they have the poorer people fighting against one another, and they frame it so that people are fighting against each other because of race or ethnicity or nationality or what have you, when we really should be focusing on capitalism and the people that are in power who are exploiting the rest of us. Um, you know, can, why don't you continue for a second while I um, re- reposition myself uh, to a less noisy location. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Continue. So, um, so basically... We, um, you know, there are quite a few things that we need to focus on and that we need to pay attention to, but we also need to realize, you know, what the real issues are. And like I said on yesterday's um, broadcast, that we all would benefit from learning some history and learning how to sit down and talk with one another, how to work with one another, and, you know, learning how to compromise. Because in order for us to affect any real change to move forward, we're going to have to do that. And, you know, going back to victim shaming and victim blaming and, you know, scapegoating, we'll talk about that more in depth next week. But, you know, we need to, you know, discuss these issues. Go ahead. Yeah. No, um, yeah, I'm glad that you're going to be talking about some of these issues next week. That's great. Um, and I hope you guys will tune in. Um, uh, just and and of course we're going to mention this again um, towards the end of the podcast. But I have to mention it because I'm so excited because two of my favorite people are going to be on Kim's show tomorrow, and they're going to be talking about perspectives of black male feminists. So that should be pretty awesome. 
be a great show. Make sure you guys tune in around 1 o'clock Eastern time. So. Um, exactly. But, yeah, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy, um, you know, just the, the foolishness that gets thrown about. So I'll find those articles and I'll make sure I post them on Kim's wall. Um, and, okay, and so this is, like, another thing that has bothered me um, as of late. Um, there, this actually I saw last month, um, and it was on a Facebook page. It was a Facebook page of people who claim to be intellectual, and they're not very intellectual, actually. And when I say not very intellectual, I mean not intellectual at all, to be honest. Um <laughs> But um, they posted an article that was um, talking about a particular vaccine for meningitis um, that I believe was given in Chad, and um, there was a there was a story that was going around. I think that Natural News and a couple of the other um, sort of quack, um, you know, natural path websites. Um, we're talking about, and it was supposed to be like 40 kids were supposed to be paralyzed after receiving this um, this vaccine. Now, you can't really find information on this hardly anywhere, which does not necessarily mean that it never happened. It just means that there's not sufficient evidence or information on it. The the sources from natural news or whatever, they, they pretty much for the most part reference each other. And it's not like they reference like any like government agency, um, certainly not any government agency in Chad. Um, so, you know, what is one to really think? But just as a scientist, it's my opinion that the the story is not is not um, credible, and and, I, and and the reason I say say that is because um, for one, the sources are lacking, but the other thing is is that this particular vaccine has actually lowered the rates of uh, meningitis um, infection in that in Chad and elsewhere um, across the world. It's actually being heralded as a, as a really really strong vaccine. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons that I doubt the story. And then um, the other thing is is that I'm not. I mean, they don't talk about sort of the way that the um, vaccine was handled. So there, there's any number of reasons that somebody could have a reaction that don't have anything to do with the vaccine. It could just be the way the vaccine was stored, or the handling practices of the needles or, you know, were, were they sterilized, you know? Did they have adequate refrigeration at the place? Did they, you know, were they giving these kids something else? You know, did the kids also receive medication? Maybe the medication is what caused the reaction, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then right. there's the, and then there's one website that they link to this particular article that um, <laughs> it claims to have a it's a letter from somebody to some some supposed health um, 
director of some center, and um, it it literally says, "Dear Mr. Director," not wow. "Dear Mr. So and So," not "Dear Mr. So and So," you know, CEO or director of blah 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 blah. It says, "Dear Mr. Director," which is is not impossible that someone could write a letter to somebody that says, "Dear Mr. Director." It's just if you're writing a letter to somebody, particularly something that's supposed to be as important as this, you would think that you would direct it to an actual person, an actual name. And they didn't. Right. Which really makes me think that this particular letter that they're referencing is crap. Wow. You know? And it's yeah, not they even like they show the... the Right, they don't even show the original letter. They show, they show a, um, a basically a screenshot of a, of a typed letter. And uh-huh. it's not even a typed letter. It's a type. It's a typed letter on a, you know, on a computer. Basically, it looks like a screenshot. There's not like an original letter. There's no signature. There's nothing. It says, "Mr. Director General, herewith I have the what? honor of putting into your hands a report of the mission." completed in Tunisia uh, between 15 and 22 of January 2013 regarding the medical evacuation of seven patients. Wow. And it just says, Mr. Director General, and then it's signed the Chief of Service. I mean... Wow. Okay. You know, I'm I'm a young person. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm a young person. But I've worked long enough. And been around enough things to know how people write things. And generally speaking, you write your name and then you write all twenty of your titles. I mean, you I remember in school they taught us how to write letters properly. Right, and I mean, but even but even in house, people either write their name or they write their name and all twenty of their titles, not just exactly. their titles. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Exactly, exactly. It doesn't sound legitimate or credible. It's not legitimate. It can't be legitimate. And then all of the sources, again, if you look, it's like, okay, um, yeah, five of them are the same. One of them is supposedly a picture of the Gates Foundation, which proves absolutely nothing. Again, there's another thing that comes up a lot is this idea that um, Bill Gates is trying to kill black people. (laughs) <laughs> which I don't really understand. Um, he did give um, a speech like several years ago um, where he was talking about how using vaccines actually reduces, um, reduces, um, you know, reduces the, um, I, I, I can't even think right now, but it basically, it basically reduces, uh, helps the population reduction. The logic being this. If I live in a country where childhood disease is rampant and I'm likely to lose my children before they're five years old, I will likely have more children to ensure that at least some of my children make it to adulthood. Right. This is what happens, particularly if you're into subsistence farming or something along those lines. Because children 
are unfortunately a source of cheap labor for you. And, wow. you know, will presumably take care of you when you get old. So you have all of these kids with the hopes that most of these kids or some of these kids at least will make it to adulthood and take care of you. And exactly. Have their own. Well, if you are able to prevent a lot of these childhood diseases through the use of vaccines, people are, are going to be less likely to want to have as many children. Because exactly. now they're insured that this child will make it, you know, will, will, will have a chance at least of making it to adulthood, a better chance of making it to adulthood. And this is a, and, exactly. and he actually showed this with statistics. So it's not it's not um it's not intuitive to somebody who's not familiar with, you know, the science. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And it's, right. it's it's not something that you just get off the bat when you hear someone say, I'm gonna reduce the population with vaccines. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's like, the logic of it. You know? And um, you know, you hear these different theories out here and the telephone number is three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. Again, three one zero nine eight two four two seven three. And if you would like to speak with us, press one. Okay. Um but yeah, no, and it's just you know, it's <laughs> and and a lot of it again, you know, comes from this, you know, lack of education, but also legitimate fears based upon you know, based upon the history that minorities and third world people have um, with the medical research and, and scientific establishment, you know, a lot of us will use an experiment, um, an ethical experiment, you know, in, in, in right. history and, and in present day. Um, you know, there are experiments that are being done right now in third world countries that would not be allowed to happen in the United States. Now, it's not necessarily because, like, people are like, oh, let's just, you know, let's just go and, like, hurt third world people. That's not what they're thinking. It's that a lot of third world countries do not have the same sort of regulations regarding research and, um, and sort of ethics concerning research that they do in the first world. And um, there's a lot of there's a lot of debate as to how one deals with that situation. Some people have thought that the way to deal with it is to not allow the publication or to ignore publications that are done in third world countries where we where these sorts of practices are known to happen. Um, but then there's another perspective um, on the other side that says that. In some instances, the, the medicine and the, and the health care that some of these people are getting in, in the third world, even if it is not as ethically sound as in the first world, they're getting something that they would not ordinarily get. And so how does one justifiably deny them because their government hasn't thought fit to institute these kinds of regulations? Well, and I think and, there's and some merit to both, to both points to both, both sides to a certain degree, but I, I still mm-hmm. sort of lean towards the, if you wouldn't do it here, then you shouldn't do it there. 
Exactly. Exactly, and that was what I was getting ready to say. You know, where does the responsibility fall on the pharmaceutical companies if if it's not allowed in this country and other Western countries, if you will? Why would you do that to some of these third and fourth world countries? That's that's what I don't understand. You know, where's their ethical standing? You know, faster. Well, the reason is because they can get it done faster and they don't have nearly as many regulations as they do here. Like, here in the United States, like, there's so much research that one has to do in order to just get one's, one's drug to the, you know, to the table to be considered uh-huh. for a clinical trial. Exactly. Because every drug that we, that we consume in the United States, you know, represents a, at least, you know, anywhere from 10 to, 10 to 20 or even 30 years, depending upon what the drug is, of research. And most uh-huh. of that research is going to be at the bench, is going to be on the bench. And then even after that, you still have the clinical trial. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very cumbersome system, and it's very, um, it's not the most cost-effective. And in some ways, it, it it, it has definitely improved, you know, health and quality of the drugs that we use. But uh-huh. it also impedes a lot of useful drugs from getting to the market fast. And so some of these corporations, um, in, in an effort to reduce their costs, their upfront costs, go to third world countries to test their, test their, um, their products. And I mean, like I said, I one one can certainly understand, you know, um, if, especially if something if something works, you know, why one would want to get it to the market fast. Um, and right. and like I said, in some cases, you actually the the people who are in these situations they actually do benefit because they're getting because while right. they're getting all of this, they're usually getting some kind of free free health care in addition to um, the benefits of whatever drug they're on, but. I I I certainly um I certainly am conflicted <laughs> when it comes to you know this, this sorts of discussions. But it also brings up you know it brings to mind, you know, other sorts of research that's been done in the past. I mean, you can think about the um medical experiments done by the Nazis. You know. A lot of those experiments were um you know, they they were well, they were done by the Jews. They were performed on the Jews. I mean, they did everything from you know experiments with hypothermia and determining exactly. you know about how long it takes for you know the human body to shut down when you know exposed to cold or you know um, you know this sort of thing like how how long one can hold one's breath. You know, you know all types of things. All types of things we take for granted. Things that are just facts now. You know what I mean? A lot of that information was was, you know, obtained through very unethical means. And, um, you know, the question is, is, you know, what do you do with that information? Does it legitimize what happened if we use that information to improve the lives of people who are still here? Or um, or is there a way to use the information that doesn't legitimize it? Do we not publish it? Do we not publish it and give credit to the people who did the research? Um 
You know, I don't know. Those are really hard questions. You know, there are some people who think you just don't even use the information. But when you think about it, a lot of that information has actually helped a lot of people. Yes. You know, but at what expense? That's a really interesting question. Exactly. You know, at what expense? And, you know, speaking of that, did you hear that? Did you read that story about the gentleman that was in Minnesota that was found to be one of the high-ranking officials from um, um, Hitler's era? Uh, He was one of the people in charge of internment camps. Oh, He's about 94 years of age. Yeah, I'm going to have to hmm. post it. I have to find it and post it. But, yeah, you know, they found out who he was. They found out he was in Minnesota. And basically, you know, there's a debate as to whether to charge him or not. Um, yeah, to charge him. He's still alive. <laughs> Why wouldn't you charge exactly. him? Exactly. But, no, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously – you know, it's a little bit different if these studies are going on now and we're talking about whether or not to use the information. I'm talking I I'm I was I was specifically talking about like the past. I think I think that's a really interesting question because especially since we're so far removed from it now. You know what I mean? What does one do with that information? You know? I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. But in any case, the the fact is is that a lot of black people have very have reservations about medical research and their reservations are not completely unfounded. Of course, you have the Tuskegee experiment in which black people, uh, black men rather, were selected in this uh, particular county not um, not to be given syphilis, but it, because syphilis happened to be syphilis um, <clears throat> infection rates in this particular county happened to be rather high, and that's why those men were chosen. But, um, you know, the the goal was to see what the difference was between black men who, uh, you know, the sort of progression of syphilis in black men versus white men because there were and, and still are in the medical profession some racist ideas about <clears throat> the difference between black and white people. Um, and the differences are not as numerous as we once thought that, once they had the penicillin, once they knew the penicillin was a cure, the problem the problem with right. Tuskegee is they didn't give it. It wasn't that they gave them syphilis to begin with, um, and this and these men passed it on to their wives and children in, in many cases. Um, and so you know there's that, and then there's there's other studies, and a lot of this stuff is detailed in um, medical sci-fi, which we'll have to talk about at a later date. I have. Um, I did enjoy that book, but there it has it has some problems <laughs> in some places. Because um, sometimes you know we can talk about these things and we can get a little hyperbolic and not um, put these things in context. Um, and um, you know it's important to read these things in context and not to try to pull out more than what's there. Um, so which is how that whole, you know, they were giving them syphilis thing came about. A lot of people really believed, I really believed that to this day, which is unfortunate. Um, but, yeah, so, like, you know, just be very careful when you come across certain information. 
you know, just ask yourself questions, particularly when it's this anti-vaccine crap. Um, vaccines have improved human life. They've, you know, most of us have been vac- vaccinated, and those of us who aren't vaccinated are protected by people who are vaccinated. You know, it's in the United States, we, don't, we no longer see a lot of cases of vaccine-preventable disease because of vaccines, because of the effectiveness of vaccines. We don't see whooping cough. We don't see um, cord theater. We don't see, um, we don't see uh, polio, you know. Um, we don't see any of, the, any of these illnesses anymore in the United States. And, and really, when, they, when, when there are cases now, they're so rare. Doctors have a problem diagnosing them. There's a problem diagnosing them because no one has seen these things in years. Right. <laughs> and, that's, exactly. and that's because vaccines work. So whatever you believe, <laughs> read up on vaccines. If you have any questions, get in contact with me and Kim. We'll do, another, we'll do a whole show on vaccines if that's what you all want. But I just I see this stuff. And it drives me crazy because children are being affected. Children die. Children exactly. die because their parents but don't get them vaccinated. Oh, yeah, but see, it doesn't help when you have these celebrities that people say they don't try to emulate, but in actuality, some people do. But it doesn't help when you have them running around saying the vaccines are evil and that they're not getting their children vaccinated. The difference between them and the average person is if their child gets deathly sick, sick, many of them can have their child treated by specialists. They have the money. Whereas yeah, our children don't. Well, I mean, even when they, I mean, even when they have the money, I mean, a lot of these, um, a lot of these, um, actors, actresses, and famous people or whatever, they still believe in some pretty wacky stuff. And, I mean, Steve Jobs, um, for example, um, who died of cancer, um, he, he decided against conventional, you know, medicine and decided to go with so-called alternative medicine. Alternative medicine, for those of you who don't know, um, by definition, is medicine that either has been proved not to work or has not been proved to work. Because the rest right. of what we call medicine. So, you know, Steve Jobs opted for alternative medicine. Um, even even um, Coletta Scott King went exactly. to an alternative medicine clinic in, in Mexico before uh, before she died. And, I mean, you know, I don't have access to these people's medical records, but you know, who's to say how long they might have gone on or, you know, whether or not their conditions could have been, maybe not to mention Coletta Scott King's case, and, and maybe not to mention Steve Jobs' case, but there's other cases where people's lives either could have been prolonged or even, you know, saved, you know, uh-huh. completely. Uh-huh. If they had just sought treatment that works. Exactly. You know? Proven treatment, exactly. Yes, proven treatment. And, um, you know, if you want to add all that stuff <laughs> while you're getting the real treatment, 
do it if it makes you feel better. <laughs> you exactly. Know, do it. Exactly. Just, just do the real medicine, too, you know? Right. Exactly. You know, but it kind of, you know, how do you feel about clinical trials? Um if someone has, you know, major illness and they were offered the opportunity to be a part of the clinical trial, should they continue with the medicine that they have and they know is working or go with the clinical trial in which they could possibly be given the placebo? I mean, it really just depends. I mean, that's really something that someone has to, just, you know, evaluate sort of on a case-by-case case because, um you know, it, it really just depends on their prognosis and all of that, you know. Um, if it's working, if their medicine is working, I don't really see why someone would even consider putting them in a, in a clinical trial. You know what I mean? Um, right. I, I, I just don't. But if if your medicine's not working and you don't have anything to lose, why not? Right. You know? Exactly. Exactly. But, yeah, you know, just looking at everything that's been happening, you know, and, again, with the conspiracy theories behind, um, you know, these philanthropists wanting to kill everybody off. And, again, we just have to examine the whole picture and find out, you know, what's exactly happening. But I'm glad you gave that example of Bill Gates and the inoculations because that's something that I see going around often and it definitely needs to be addressed. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like I'm not like I'm not a stand for Bill Gates or anything. I think that he does some good work though. You know? Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but like some things are just patently absurd. You know what I mean? And um, Right. This this idea that he's trying to kill people through vaccines is just ridiculous, and and it's not even founded. It's not even accurate. You know, it's not even accurate. Even if Bill Gates was trying to kill people in Africa with vaccines, and you could only produce to me forty children who were hurt by vaccines, and you ruled out all the other all the other factors that I mentioned earlier, right? Even if you could prove right. those 40 kids were directly harmed by a vaccine and nothing else, that's 40 kids. Right. So I'm not saying that those 40 kids don't matter. I'm saying that those 40 kids weighed against the menace of, 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 of um, meningitis, you know what I mean, um, mm-hmm. is, is nothing. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It's right. nothing. It's, it's, wow. it's most because because it is, because more people are going to be helped than they are going to be harmed. That's true. That's true. That's true. And you know, any product like you know those there, you know, you're going to have some unfortunate results in some cases. And you know if that number is minute compared to the whole then, I mean, I guess that's where, you know, we kind of weigh in as to is it worth it or is it not? Because we can't necessarily, you know, I know this may sound morbid, but 
in clinical trials and situations like that, there are going to be some people who lose the battle with life, if you will. But, but, it, that, I mean, that's just the reality of our biology. It's not, you know, like a, a scientific problem. It's a biological problem because right. people have people are biological systems. We're, we're biological systems. We have, you know, we have receptors. You know, receptors that, do, that are the same receptor essentially, but do different things in different systems. You know what I mean? There are certain mm-hmm. things that when we when we when when digested, if they're if they're toxic, they're not toxic really until they're metabolized. You know, that's why yeah. certain, that's why certain drugs are give, are delivered certain ways because depending upon how they're delivered will determine their effects. So if I need to get you, if if you have some problem in a particular part of your body and I want to give you this drug, I might just want to deliver it right to the site instead of giving it to you in a pill. Because if I give it to you in a pill, you might metabolize it all before it gets to where it needs to be. Right. You know what I mean? That's true. These are the things that happen. And, And everyone has different chemistries, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's always bound to be a um, some kind of side effect, you know, and exactly. you know some side effect some side effects are adverse side effects and some of them are not. Some of them are idiosyncratic. Sometimes they're completely they're completely in the patient's head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sometimes they're not even real. Right. They're psychosomatic. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're psychosomatic illnesses. You know. Right. You know, some people just have very strange reactions, and we don't know what they're having a reaction to. It could be a reaction to multiple things. It could be stress. It could be something they ate that they shouldn't have eaten with this particular thing. But we, but we can't know because it's not people are not they're not live rats. You know, we we don't observe them. We don't control everything that happens to them. You know. So exactly. You know, it could be interaction. Yep. It could be anything. So, so we can, so, you know, there's only so much that can be done. And until we're at a point where, you know, individualized medicine is something that we can do on a wide scale, this is going to, and, and it'll even continue to be a problem, even even after we have individualized medicine on a large scale. You know, because right. there's only so many things that you can foresee. Even looking at your genome, someone can tell you what you're at risk for, but they don't. they can't tell you if you're going to get it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. You know, they can't they can't exactly. necessarily tell you that this is what is actually going to happen to you. It's, there's other factors that come into play. Maybe if, you know, you're you run every day for, you know, thirty or forty years of your life, maybe this particular gene doesn't come on and maybe you don't get cancer. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe if you smoke exactly. for forty years of your life, maybe this other person smokes for forty years of their life and they don't run a day in their life, they still don't get cancer. You know what I mean? It just right. depends. You know, I have a grandfather. He smoked his entire life. He's he's damn near eighty years old, and the man has never uh-huh. had cancer. He's he doesn't have How cancer. He's that? cancer free. You know what I mean? How about but there but there are some people they you know they they've never smoked a cigarette in their life. Lung cancer, oil cancer. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So. Exactly. And, you know, it's, 
but see, that's one of the beautiful things about science is they're studying these things and trying to find out, you know, the origin or how some of these things work. And unfortunately, they they have a lot of impediments in their way. And that's one of the reasons why I just think it's important that we support, you know, some of these projects. But, you know, going back to what you were saying with medical apartheid, because of some of the things that happened in the past, that's one of the reasons why they have such a hard time getting minorities to volunteer for some yeah. of these trials. So, Yeah, especially when it comes to, like, um, bone marrow. They have, like, um, you know, they, you know, Bone marrow for for African uh, donations for the African Americans are like abysmal. <laughs> you have to mm-hmm. you have to get better. And it is and it is um although they do have different methods of doing it now. Um I think they have a stem cell collection method that isn't as invasive. But um you know, I mean the 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 method that I think most people are familiar with it's fairly invasive. It hurts like hell, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. But right. it save someone's life, and if it's if it's a temporary discomfort, they might actually save someone's life because a lot of a lot of people who need bone marrow, who are African American, can't get it when they need it. Wow. So we have to. We have to begin to sort of take some responsibility and start learning about these things on our own. You know? Right. So, anyway, I guess we don't have any callers. I was hoping that a couple of my my friends, some, no. you know, I actually think a family friends would call in, but that's okay. We'll, we'll get them together later. Of course, not uh, later. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> that so. is too funny. Um, it's okay. I'm looking at you, Marcus. Yes, I'm looking at you. No, um, <laughs> funny. Okay, um, <laughs> so yeah. So, um, did you see anything else going on this weekend? Oh, let's see here. Yes. Uh, let me see here. Wednesday, on um, the breakbeat. William and Marcus, M.C. Brooks and Father Teresa, they will be talking about um, the male gaze, and they'll have a guest, Cecily Jones, from Feminist Thing, and they'll be talking about feminism, and it should be a wonderful show, so we want you guys to tune in for that on Friday. Mario and Emmeline, they'll be talking about um, genital mutilation and female circumcision. So that should be a great show. And uh, besides tomorrow's show on for black free thinkers, black male feminists, the very next Sunday we'll be talking about victim shaming and uh, scapegoating. So, you know, that's the lineup for the next um, several shows. Yeah, um, I, and and I think and you're right when you say they're talking about feminism, but I I thought that they were specifically going to be talking about the male gaze and male privilege. Right. Yeah, male privilege okay. and male gaze. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that should be a really interesting show. Um, I really enjoy uh, her writing over at um, 
feminist thing. So that should be a really good conversation. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And tomorrow's conversation is going to be a trip. Um, <laughs> because most of our male listeners are used to me and Kim particularly um, talking about feminism. Um, what they aren't used to is hearing from, you know, individuals that with with Y chromosomes talking about it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. And then these are two great guys, anti-intellect. For those of you who aren't familiar with him, you can find his blog on Facebook. And if you go to the page, it has the links up. And you have Xavier, and Xavier is a hoot, y'all. And both of them, both of these guys are wonderful. So it's, it promises to be a fast-paced very intellectually stimulating, entertaining, informational show. And so just Absolutely. be prepared to hear about Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, Audre Lorde. You're going to hear about all of these different people. And so just to kind of give you a preview, but, you know, Anti-Intellect and Xavier, you know, both of these guys full of knowledge, full of life, if you will, so it promises. It definitely promises to be an educational and also they stand for no type of nonsense. So please don't be don't call in on that foolishness tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, let me go ahead and put this out there because I know one or two specific people. Uh, I will be kicking people out the chat room. You know, none of the second chances stuff. I'm just gonna boot you out with the foolishness. Period. You know, and I'm usually one of those people I'll try to get a chance and reason with you. Tomorrow, no, you know, we're going to be talking serious business and we want to have some fun. So come to learn, come to ask questions. Um, if you have an opinion, that's fine, even if it's, an, you know, an opinion that's, you know, the polar opposite of what we're talking about. That's okay. Call it in. And, you know, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Yeah. 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 Just. Yeah, just mind your manners and your P's and Q's. Cause, um, exactly. Yeah. It won't be pretty for you if you don't. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of, speaking of, speaking of black male feminists, I cannot wait for somebody to ask them what they think about Tommy Sotomayor. This guy, I, this man's name comes up everywhere. In sort of in my travels in the Black atheist circle, I see him Ooh, everywhere. Funny. Are you going to call and in and ask him about? Oh, it irritates the mess out of me that there are people who actually listen to this man as though he's the reasonable source of information, reason and logic. Well, you know what I mean. This man is—he's. He's the epitome of everything that's irrational and racist and sexist, you know? <laughs> right. And what do you think? Have you ever heard of it? Pardon? Have you, ever, have you ever heard of him? You talking to me? Yeah, I said, have you ever heard of him? We've talked about him. Okay. <laughs> well, I I didn't remember if I talked to you or if it was somebody else. Yeah, I've had these conversations all the time. Yeah, no, we've heard of him. That's what I'm saying. But it's not just him. There are quite a few um, 
gentlemen out there that, you know, kind of model themselves after and you him. Use word, and, and you use that word loosely, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, that whole thing there. But, yeah, I'm putting the link in the chat room so that um, William will know who he is and look him up. But, yeah, that guy, you know, he... He, you have to deal with him with a long handle spoon, you know, and that's all I can say about him. You know, I've been, I, I mind my manners. If I don't have anything nice to say, I'm not going to say anything at all. <laughs> oh, Kim. And my philosophy uh, veers more towards if you don't have anything nice to say, come sit by me. No, um, <laughs> when, it comes, when it comes to certain things. But um, <laughs> when it comes to certain things, yes. Um, but no, it's it's a shame that there are people who actually take this man seriously. It really, really is a shame. Um, another thing that I saw recently that um, bothered me, sort of a um, it was a hello. I'm sorry, I think I hit something on my phone. But um, the thing that sort of bothered me that I saw recently, too, um, was a conversation about um, about feminism. It started out talking about Beyonce, but there was this guy, and he started talking about matriarchy and how matriarchy was a problem in the black community. And wow, I, I, it made me want to tear out my hair because... I was sitting here trying to think, like, how does one even say those words and mean them? You know right. what I'm saying? And the, his whole reason for believing why patriarchy was a problem was that most that um, that you know he quoted that 70 percent of households are run by black women. Right. Exactly. I just posted that like, in the um, chat room. Which is complete nonsense because. That that's not even what patriarchy or matriarchy is. It's a it's a system. It is it's a uh-huh. system that that is political and economic. It's a power thing. You know, simply making decisions in a household does not a matriarchy make. <laughs> right. And there's never right. been a recorded matriarchy anywhere. Anywhere. There's no matriarchy oh. in the historical record. There is no archaeological right. evidence. <laughs> There's nothing. Exactly. Exactly. There's none. Exactly. Not at all. Never 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 on earth has there been an oppressive regime of women. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. But and, you and, know, and, again, and that's not even what feminists want. We don't even want that. We want equality. Period. Across the board. Yeah. Well, some of us want want but, equality. Some of us, some of us want want sort of sort of have different views. But no, I, I was just thinking about um, feminists that I know of that are transphobic too, and um, right. and even homophobic. Some of them. So I mean, there are some there are you know feminists in our ranks that are not as progressive as they should be, and racist feminists too, honestly. But um, <laughs> but it's it is so insane. I wish that. I wish that, you know, black black men who make this argument would really 
really sit and really think through what they're saying before they say something like that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, William was just asking, is this guy serious or playing a character? And I believe he's serious. Yeah, he is. He is. I've heard it before. And and then there's this whole, um, you know, this whole notion that, you know, black women want to be black men or want to be men and, you know, they're too, um, they're too strong-willed and, you know, they aren't feminine enough and all of this, you know, has to do a lot with some of the things I expect that anti-intellect and Xavier will bring up tomorrow in terms of respectability politics and, you know, um, sort of being and, and how black women, particularly at the intersection of these racist and patriarchal um, systems that inter, that that affect them in a in a way that is different from other groups of people. You know, we have right. the the racist assumptions that we're immoral intersecting with these ideas of what being feminine are that we're never really that we were never really allowed to participate in, but we're expected exactly. to sort of uphold. Mm-hmm. And um, exactly. it's, it, it's, it plays out in in a very different way in the black community in terms of how um, black women are sh- are slut shamed and how um, and how they're treated and how their um, how their sexuality is viewed. You know, it's um, it's very in interesting. Question. You know, yep. yeah, and questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's 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 really interesting that you know someone like Madonna or someone like Lady Gaga can be read in the pop culture as someone who, or, or people who are um, pioneering and um, in command of their sexuality, and Nicki Minaj or someone along those lines can be read as um, a slut, right. as a hoe. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Even though exactly. even though none of us is, is particularly aware of any of her sexual habits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Okay, it's just so. perception. It's perception. Yeah. And, you know, and some of the biggest perpetrators of that are other women, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, it is unfortunate. Well, women, women you know, like a lot of black people, you know, in general, you know, sometimes internalize, you know, racism, sexism, you know, these things get internalized and sometimes people um, believe it, you know. And some people's uh-huh. whole reality is trying, and some people's whole identity is based on trying to counter all of these, you know, these negative stereotypes. And the problem is, is that puts you into another box where you're not allowed exactly. to make mistakes, you're not allowed to be yourself or express yourself in any way that might draw attention to those negative things. So have to think about that too. So Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the whole thing, like I said, I'm looking at it all and we definitely have to do better, present these subjects, you know, um in in a compassionate way, in an educational way, and just you know try to convey to people that to be who they are, and that 
there's nothing to be ashamed of. And it's just goes back to, you know, as I was saying about the victim shaming and the scapegoating, that's why it's important that we have that conversation next week. It's important that we start talking about these things and giving some examples as to, you know, we'll we'll throw some slut shaming in there as well, but that's part of victim shaming as far as I'm concerned to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, someone actually said in this particular thread they were talking about, um, (laughs) they were talking about, um, you know, what, uh, dressing like a hoe. And the question is, what is dressing like a hoe? You know what I mean? Because right. um, where, where do those standards come from? And those standards, if you if you know your history, they come from religious white supremacist beliefs. And a lot of uh-huh. these things that we're talking about in terms of women today are things that were believed of indigenous people all over the world, wherever white people encountered them. Why are they not wearing any clothes? Right. Surely they're surely exactly. they're not wearing any clothes because they're hypersexual. Surely right. they're not exactly. wearing any clothes because they have no morals. Uh, you know, how can they be how can a man and a woman be naked in the same room, you know, and they don't have a sexual relationship? You know what I mean? Uh, exactly. Or, you know, or or naked in their eyes, which was not really always naked at all actually <laughs> you know what I mean but that's the point is that these things were used to demean many of our ancestors you know so we have to consider where these ideas about what the body is and, and what the body is supposed to be used for and how shameful it is or, or, or not shameful it is I don't believe it's shameful you know if we believe the body is shameful, why do we believe the body is shameful? Who told us that? You know? Exactly. Exactly. And and why is it that so many of us cannot read the body as anything but sexual? Yes, the right. body is sexual. Funny, yeah. but, the right. body, but the body is also other things. The body is the body is how we get around. You know what I mean? Exactly. The body is a tool. The body is, you know, something that we can, you know, build things with. You know, we can we can formula we can form you relation we can form relationships, we can form bonds with it. You know what I mean? We can right. we can do all kinds of things. We can nurture with it. You know what I mean? We can do all kinds of things with the body. The body is not necessarily exactly. just a sexual thing. A thing for pleasure. And that's the problem that most people have when they encounter the word objectification. They don't know what exactly. objectification means. So they think that any time someone refers to a part of their of, of the human body as a, you know, like um, as someone had quoted something from Beyonce, where Beyonce had said something about having a cute face and a and a fat booty, you know what I mean? And she just finished talking about in the song sex, you know what I mean? And right. you know, saying you know, it was saying like, why do I get what I want? You know, obviously, why do I get what I want sexually? You know what I mean? Because I have right. a cute face exactly. and a big booty. You know what I mean? That, you know, and she wasn't, that's not really an example of objectification, you know what I mean? Because in that instance, she's talking about sex, you know what I mean? And people, when they engage in sex, they tend to like people that they're attracted to. And the, she's referring to the men that she has dealt with, 
presumably mainly Jay-Z, that <laughs> that she gets right. what she wants because she has a nice body and she's pretty. And there's nothing wrong with that. Exactly. You know, that's not a, that's not necessarily objectification. Objectification is when you move, remove the human being from 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 the body, from the, you know, you make the body literally an object. And that has happened in a lot of advertising and what have you there, advertisements where women's legs are used, you know, um, you know, to look like, um, you know, pieces of furniture, you know, or women are right. actually posed to look like furniture, you know, or women, you know, a, a woman's crotch is shown and nothing else, you know what I mean? Or, right. You know, things that it are just devoid of the, Right, to take away her human yeah, right. value and just reduce her to the sum right. of her parts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, it have, and men are objectified as well, so I just want to make sure we say oh, yeah. that also. They are. They are. But it, it, it happens differently, and it's not, it's not even on the same scale. Um, objectification right. of, of men is, is not nearly as major of a problem as it is women. Um, women are more widely objectified. And their objectification has very, very real consequences for how women in general are viewed, you know, right. um, and what and what they're and what and what they're for, what women's value is. Um, men's value is not uh, is never viewed that way. It's not affected by objectification. Okay. See, that's true, and not in the way that women's value is, because we live in a patriarchal society where you know, men are quintessentially human and everybody else is, well, white men particularly is quintessentially human and everyone else is in a category that, you know, and is in another uh-huh. category where sometimes they, where sometimes they're afforded human agency and sometimes they're not. Depends. But. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's just, it's just something, it's just something to keep in mind. Like, you know, what is dressing like a hoe? You know, can you pick up a hoe uniform? Can you say what it is? What? You know what I mean? Because one person's hoe dress is another person's, you know, appropriate outfit, you know, for for, for what they're doing. So. Right, and who are you to determine, you know, who determines exactly a hoe outfit or what, you know, and what is a hoe? You know, it's, it's a lot of things that we definitely need to address. And right, I mean, like, yeah, when do you become a hoe? Is it when you sleep with one person, or is it 15, or is it 20, or is it, you know what I mean? Right. Is it five? Like, you know. Or was, she, or was she not a hoe until she rejected you? And after she rejected you, now she's a hoe, right? <laughs> that happens, too. That happens, yeah. too. Exactly. So, you know, just all of these different things. And, you know, I feel funny just sitting here calling saying the word hope. It's just, it's, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember the first time, I remember the first time I remember hearing the, the word ho. I don't remember how old I was, but I remember hearing that Tony, Tony, Tony song, you know, my ex-girlfriend. And I heard the word, and I was like, a hoe is a garden tool. Like, my mom laughed at me. <laughs> right. Uh, so. uh, oh, that's too funny. Uh, oh, that's too funny. <laughs> so I think you just cracked up and heard tool. the word hoe cakes. Yeah, I didn't know what that was about. But, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, w- I wondered what those were when I got older, too. I never actually had them, though. But, um, but yeah, no, it's it's really sad, you know, when we think about it, when we think about just how, you know, just how we're we're taught to think about certain things. And it's unfortunate that we, we think of the body this way, you know. Yeah, we're sexually we repressed. Yeah. Many people in this country are sexually repressed. And as a matter of fact, I, I liked an article the other day about how over in Pakistan, which is, in theory, you know, extremely conservative over there. But, you know, the article was talking about why is gay porn viewed so much in Pakistan. And, you know, these conservative, you know, anti-gay countries, you know, they have the highest statistics and the highest ratings in searching for gay porn. And that was released by yeah. two research. Yeah, and, you know, actually it was really funny because one year there was something out on Google, um, I forget which country it was, but one country had like some obscene number of like of hits um, for searches for like camel sex. Like, right, right. Like, what's that about? Like, wow. Like, wow. Not something you would think, you know, would be found in a study like that. Like, I have never in my life ever thought, you know, maybe I want to know how camels have sex. Like, no, I'm I'm good on that. Like, I really don't need to know, you know. But I'm pretty sure that they weren't, I'm pretty sure, but I'm pretty sure that they weren't looking for camel on camel, but probably camel on human or something. And, yeah, that's, yeah, no. That's TMI. You know, I mean, that's, do your that's thing, that's your thing, cool. but, well, I mean, what, if that's your thing, that's your thing, it's just that no, that's it's not, not mine. No, it's not your thing. Animals cannot consent. If you I cannot consent, if you cannot consent, you should, no, no. There is an ethical issue at stake. If you cannot consent, you, is a person or an or, or, the, the thing that you're having sex with can't consent. You can't have sex with it. You know, I've met a lot. I don't of even know how to phrase that. I know, I know, I know, I know. I've, <laughs> met, I've met a lot of interesting people on the Internet, and people oh, are sure. into some things, you know, and I try my best. Not to be judgmental about something. Now you know you start talking about kids. I'm calling the popo on your ass. Period. No, I'm right? not being judgmental. I'm not saying that you're a horrible person. I'm just saying that oh, no. no, no, no. I'm not talking. About, I'm just saying in general. Yeah. I just yeah. I kind of shy away no. like from like okay, all right, well you know no, we 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 can't hang out like that. But it's cool. But go ahead. Yeah. No. No, that's there's um um you know there's just no other way around it. I'm I'm sorry. There there are certain things that are just wrong fundamentally, and it's not wrong because it's an animal. It's wrong because they can't consent. You know what I mean? Right. You cannot right. walk up to a horse and say, "Would you uh, like to?" You know what I mean? This is not something right. that you can do. So that's true. If you cannot do it and they cannot respond, then you should not do it. It is no different 
then if someone is incapacitated or or passed out and you and you try to initiate sex with them that is wrong for the same reason because they cannot consent period right there's some things you can't do or you shouldn't it just well i mean you can do it it's possible it's physically right. possible but you shouldn't do because it's, uh, it's ethically uh, wrong uh, uh, <laughs> holy I'm walking away. I'm walking away from this conversation. Yeah, let's not. Let's not. Uh, yeah, let's like walk away quickly. Like there's just too many things that are wrong with that thing from an, from not even from not from just an ethical point of view. Not to mention that it personally disgusts me when I think about something like that. But that's just me. You know what I mean? Because uh, you know what I mean. But. <laughs> What I'm not going to do is say that it's okay. <laughs> because it's not okay. I'm sorry. Do anything else. Find other find other avenues. Please find other avenues. Like there's got to be something that. else you enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm done. I am so done with this conversation. It's so- <laughs> like I said, oh, that's you terrible. Know, I met some people, and you know they talked about some stuff, and I'm like, okay, and I, I move on. Okay, yes, let's move on quickly, please. Oh God. Okay. Um. <laughs> yeah, let's. I'm just gonna switch gears entirely. Um, and and mention also that we're going to have a book club and we're the first book we're reading is the bluest eye and um yes. you know and hopefully 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 people have read it before I mean most people have read this book I think um and if you yes. haven't like get with the program cuz Tony Morrison is awesome um and this book is is a really good book um I read it when I was 11 Tony Morrison changed my life um. Yeah, I like I. I think I officially stopped being a child at eleven when I read Toni Morrison. <laughs> oh wow! That began my that began my puberty. <laughs> oh wow! But, that um, is hilarious. You yeah. said that's what did it um, all for you there. That's right. what I did it all. Like, yeah, it, my life was just never the same. I didn't see anything the same anymore. Um. So yeah. So. You know, hopefully you guys will join us. I believe that's going to be at the end of the month, correct, Kim? That is correct. Are we still doing and it at the end of the month? Okay. Yeah, and we tossed out a couple of other titles: Sister Citizen, um, the uh, Possessing the Secret of Joy, and another one I want to toss on there: The Twelve Tribes of Hattie. Twelve Tribes well. of Hattie. Yes. The Hattie Mc. What are you talking about, Hattie McDaniel? Are you talking about it? No, no, well, no. This is a book that was um, part of Oprah's Book Club 2.0. But this um, particular young lady is being heralded basically as the possible Toni Morrison 2.0. So I just ordered the book. Mm-hmm. I have not read it yet. So okay. I just. 
you know, I, I decided to pick it up since people were speaking so highly of her and of this book. So, you know, we'll see because it's contemporary fiction, and I don't read a lot of fiction. This is something kind of new to me, so it should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, um, have we have have we decided on the next book in the book club, or you know, just Sister so people Sister. can maybe? Okay, so we're definitely doing Sister Citizen next. Okay, okay. I've read Sister Citizen. I have to tell you all, it is a good book. Please make sure that you go and get it. You won't regret it. It's it's an excellent book. It's an excellent read. Um, also, recommend you read um, Godless Americana. I actually had the privilege of reading both books around the same time, and I'm telling you, like you're if you if you read them around the same time, like you're just gonna feel like, oh my god, <laughs> this is this mm-hmm. is amazing. Like this book, this book, you know, has has things that connect to this book. You know, and they talk about a lot of similar issues, but from sort of somewhat different perspectives. But it's a really, really interesting right. read. Both of them are interesting reads. So I would, I would say that you guys got to read both. In my exactly, opinion. they complement each other quite a bit. You know, Very they well. complement each other perfectly, yeah. actually. And yeah. you know, we definitely, um, you know, want you guys to go and and pick those books up. You know, we definitely want to support authors in our community. Um, Donald Wright has a book. Um, the name of Donald Wright's book is The Only Prayer I'll Ever Pray is Let My People Go. And that's a good book. We have a couple of anthologies out there. We have um, Norm Allen's anthology, um, another book that was written by someone in the community, an anthology, um, Black Nuns. That was another anthology um from the community here that was put together late last year. Oh, for those of you, we're putting together a Women of Color anthology. Um, Sakibu Hutchinson um, is putting together, and she's calling for submissions. And the deadline for the abstracts is September 30th, and I've posted this quite a bit. I'll be posting it again tomorrow. And, you know, hopefully you all will get a chance to send your information in because, um, definitely looking for submissions. And it was another book that Raina had recommended to me, and I ordered it. I just have not had the pleasure of reading it. Are you talking about um, uh, Anthony, um, Mark Anthony Neal? Are you talking about yes. his book? Um, yes. It's looking, looking for Leroy, um, Illegible Black Le- Identities. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, guys, go pick that up because I have it. I just haven't, you know, I get kind of busy. I just haven't had a chance to um, read that yet, but we definitely want to do that because this is dealing with um, stereotypes of black males in our community. And for those of you who watched The Wire and saw Omar, it's kind of along the lines of that, talking about different stereotypes and breaking stereotypes. Yeah. Yeah. Deconstructing them, yeah, and, and talking about um, talking about uh, in a few instances, uh, I think, especially that the author wanted to focus on where there were, you know, some illegible black male identities or black male characters um, presented. And uh, Leroy is um, actually referring to Leroy from Fame, um, the the show. Um, or, or the movie was it the movie or the show? I don't know. I, I'm 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 too young for these things. I wasn't around when Fame came out. Okay, okay. <laughs> but 
But Leroy yeah. apparently was um was one of the dancers on the program and um he was you know, he was he was gay and um a dancer and um but he was very strong and, you know, uh you know, very you know, very very confident of himself. And um and some other things and the author said that he was very fascinated by this particular char- character because he had never seen anything like that on television. Um, and so that was kind of the inspiration for looking for Leroy, but um looking forward to reading that book. Haven't gotten to that one yet, but there's a lot of good books on the book club list. So got, you guys got to, got to um, tune in and participate, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, new topic. I'm glad we glad we got off that other one. Um <laughs> Me too. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> oh man. But yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's a lot coming up in the future, you know, again changing the formats. Um it it's it's proving to be, you know, um it's been a great year. And I just want to thank everybody who listens in to the show. And in particular, I would like to thank everyone who hosts these shows with me. You know, without you guys, this wouldn't be possible. And I appreciate each and every one of you, and I just wanted you guys to know that. And we appreciate you, because there would be no black free thinkers without Kimberly Veal. So we thank you. Well, thank you. Our, thank you, Our fearless leader. <laughs> you fearless when I take my meds, but you know. <laughs> well, then take your meds quickly. Right. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. But yeah, so I mean, again, we're growing, we're moving forward. Oh, and I mentioned yesterday, and I'll mention it again today: the Black Skeptics Scholarship, Person and Family Scholarship Fund. You guys, if you want to donate, you know, the PayPal information for that is blackskeptics at gmail.com. Again, blackskeptics at gmail.com. They'll be having a ceremony in July and awarding the scholarships, and next year they would like to give out even more scholarships. So we definitely need you guys to donate, and they're a 501c3, so these donations are tax-deductible. All right. Tax deduction, and you get to help kids. That's awesome. Exactly. And these children are um, LGBTQ children that have come from, you know, uh, difficult situations, um, homelessness, um, foster care, just a number of different situations. So the money, the scholarships are being given to encourage them to continue on with, you know, their education. Okay. That's great. That's great, guys. Let's see if we let's let's help let's help out and give what we can. That's great. That's really good. Exactly. But yeah, and you, you see, some... and you'll you'll see results of these contributions. You know, it's always lovely to donate, but when you actually see results and seeing lives being transformed, that that makes it even better. So, you know, you're helping people, you're changing lives, you're making a difference in someone's life, and that should make you feel good. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna post that article now, the one that I told you about and um it links to that other ridiculous website that has the, the phony letter to the director who it doesn't yeah. name by name. Like it doesn't name huh. at all, you know, except for the director. It's just I I don't understand how people really read these things and just you know, swallow them wholesale, like, you know, vet the information you come across, you know? Right. Just, just vet it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's what we're here for. We're we're here to help, you know, help you think better, you know, help you to be, you know, more skeptical. So in any case, guys, um, even though there's 20 minutes to go, um, we don't really have a whole lot else to talk about, and it's a really nice, bright, sunny day. So get out and enjoy it. So, yes, get out <laughs> and, and enjoy your day. To. Right? Oh, yes, Pride Weekend here. Well, was this really Pride Weekend here in Chicago has been broken up until next weekend and the weekend after that? But it's some type of pre-Pride event happening this weekend. I forget what. They called it, but we have Puerto Rican Day Festival happening this weekend as well as Juneteenth. So, you know, plenty right. to do here Juneteenth. in Chicago this weekend. Yeah, and Juneteenth celebrations are going on a lot of places. So, that's um, so get out and try to check them out and uh, tune in in about two weeks um, when we'll be talking again about. Something has to be uh, to be determined. Determined. <laughs> but hopefully, we'll have a guest. <laughs> had to wrap, had to drop the TBD on you like uh, like Hillary Clinton. But um, no, we'll hopefully we'll have a guest for the next show. <laughs> next show, and um, you know we'll be talking about um, things in the future. We'll be talking a little bit about GMOs. I hope um, you know give some information. Talk talk about those. Um, and it and it sort of a, a, a skeptical way because there there's a lot of stuff getting thrown around on both sides and um you know I I'm just I'm just I'm just pro truth. You hear me? Right. I'm just pro truth. Not all GMOs are bad, not all GMOs are good. You know? So as a matter of but fact, the only way that um, we know is through science. Huh? And I said exactly. the only way we know is through science. I think Richard Dawkins spoke about GMOs. I haven't had a chance to read that article yet, but something to look up. I'm, you know, a little curious as to what he may have to say about it. So, so I guess we'll be talking about that next week, right? Well, we'll see if we'll talk about it. Next. I don't know if it'll be next week, but I know it's coming up on a future show. It's going to be. We're going to talk about right. GMOs, and we're going to talk about um, some other things. I have some really great people I got connected with recently. So I'm hoping to have them on future shows. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about some about quantum physics woo and um and you know, some of that type of stuff. I mean I am I for one cannot stand when I come across someone who uses the word quantum to explain something that is completely nonsense and they clearly have no understanding of what quantum physics is. So 
that drives me up the wall. But I can't wait to have that conversation. Um, you know, especially – and then when people mis- misuse energy, as you have witnessed before, people misuse the word energy. And it drives me crazy because energy is a real thing. It is a physical exactly. thing. It's something we can measure. And it can be gauged. Exactly. Right. It can be gauged. And people, people, people use the word energy to mean, like, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Right, I have right, happy right. energy. Uh, no, you have an emotion, which we define as happy. <laughs> We we've been down this road before, but you know it doesn't hurt to take a little detour down there every once in a while. So yeah, yes. we'll you know it's it's we're we're gonna have a show on emotions one day, and why emotions <laughs> are good, but it's even better to know how to identify them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're gonna have a lot of different shows. We're gonna have to. I want to. I really want to do a, an entire show on um, consciousness, and um, I, I probably could do one. You know off the top of my head, to be honest with you, but um, I'm probably going to make sure that that's a really structured show and uh, I have, you know, everything that I want on there and, you know, maybe I might have some sound clips, you know, so, um, and I might do a whole blog series on it just to accompany it, <laughs> but, you know, I want to talk about consciousness because people have have a a weird idea of what consciousness is. Some people actually think that energy has consciousness. Which is crazy to me, but they think that it has but this is what they've been because told. they don't understand what it is. Well, this, this not what, but, 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 but that's what they've been taught, and then many of them come where were at they that taught this? Subject. Some crazy people that they didn't question some when they were the told these things. Spiritual, from some of the spiritual churches, the New Thought churches, um, and it's, it's it becomes convoluted and conflated after a while, which is why we have to break it down and, you know, explain it. So it's just yeah. a lot of work ahead of us, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, and that's, probably, and that's why I want to do a whole show on it, because I want to make sure that I hit, like, where these where this foolishness comes from, you know, and address the foolishness while I'm giving the information, because I could just do a straight piece on consciousness and then never get to, you know, the misconceptions mm-hmm. that come from you know the the new age philosophies. You know they exactly. 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 Well, all right now. Well, look, everybody, you guys, you have a lovely, lovely weekend. As you can see, Mm -hmm. we're you know put together some future some future shows for you guys. Yep. And um, make sure you tune in tomorrow for Father's Day with the um, for the black. Male feminist show. It's going to be awesome. So, yeah. Anyway, you guys take care, and I'll talk to you next time. Take care, everybody. Bye. Reason is uh, what's in the choice. Skeptics know that you do have a voice. Science not so will be defiant is what we know, so it's best to apply it. Be you information, deposit the knowledge, so you know ignorance is not an option. Welcome to the RSS feed with your host, Raymond Rose. 
skeptical superwoman, but in plain clothes. She ain't no Jane Doe, nor is she a day old. So the cobalt arguments weakly molded like Plato. Kicking false info like Kato, but it should be your J-O. You expand your mind like a transit line. Nothing is ever true, cause you think so. It's evident that you never win, cause the evidence you present is irrelevant in the present.